Welcome to ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Coming up on today's show, Kirby Smart finally addresses the media. So did the Falcons have the best backfield in the NFL, but maybe have the worst offseason in the league? And last but not least, and for the culture, I have a confession to make. That's all coming up next on ATL Day Ones. Let's go. This is ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. I want to start by saying thank you for making ATL Day Ones your first listener of the day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast and wherever you download your podcast. Make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. ATL Day Ones is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. T, Kirby Smart finally addressed the media because everybody's been clamoring for him to open his mouth about all of the arrests that have been going on and all of them seemingly to fall under the category of speeding, reckless driving, and young cats having these fast cars and doing what they uh, want to do with the, with that gas pedal. I feel like an old man saying it like that. But anyway, I think, I think one of the things that really stood out to me, though, T, is when you take a look at this situation, and we talked about earlier on the show how he's going to have to make an example out of someone. But I don't think he necessarily did that. He said that, you know, quote, that, the the players know what the punishment is, and I'm not going to reveal what the, that punishment are. And the people who need to know what the punishment is, that's exactly what it is. And I'm not surprised he's taking this stance because we know that Nick Saban, his uh, he's basically his mentor uh, in this um college football game, did the exact same thing and played it the exact same way. But is this the right way to deal with it though? Yeah, I think so. I think Kirby went all, if you know, you know, on us. And that's understandable (laughs) because (laughs) in the world we live in, we just live everything front page, everything out loud, social media and the like. And like you said, now we're both sounding like old people get off my lawn, folks. But (laughs) (laughs) there's a reason I'm saying this, because some things just need to stay in-house, right? Some things you just keep in the family. Now, he Kirby Smart doesn't have the good fortune of being able to keep these arrests off the record because that's a matter of public record but how he handles them that's not a matter of public record that's a private situation amongst that that dog organization or or, or program if you will mm-hmm. so i i actually like it because i think to me if you if you go down that road of explaining to the media or fans or whomever is asking the question detailed information um, what your one, two, three step process is, Travis, I just think it goes down a rabbit hole because it's never going to be enough for some people. It's going right. to be too much for others. And the commentary that you're going to have to deal with, the follow up questions, I just feel like, yeah, right now they have to, he has to be responsible, especially as, as they're really getting their spring training and their offseason program underway this week. He has to be responsible for focusing on the matter at hand and keeping us focused rather on the matter at hand, which is we're out here trying to win back to back to back the end so yeah. i'll let you know that yes we have addressed it that way at least that gives the media that gives the public that gives the fan base peace of mind that it is being addressed i think that's a good thing but i don't necessarily think we need to know the intricacies of how the program is dealing with some of these off-field activities and issues i mean most of me agrees with you but it's just a small part of me just just says like all right you know 
if if you're gonna go with the if you're gonna send a message and that's what we talked about right we talking about sending the message if you're going to send a message i think that it's it's going to be hard because there's so many guys you know dumas johnson uh morissette um uh rosemary uh, jack saint those guys you know you know are, are the recent you know um violators so it's kind of like do you pick and choose who you're going to pick and choose to, to kick off the team or whatever to make that example so i'm saying i figured since everything happened like so in like a in a vacuum like right there within each other and i, I really feel like eventually i got to i got to a space where i felt comfortable with him kind of going did, handling the way he did because i'm always like that i'm always because the pitchfork people I, I, i'm i'll never be a part of that crowd so i really think that you know he's handling the right way but if it happens again t three or four months from now during the season or everything and and somebody gets caught up for this thing because he has plans in place for this summer to let these guys know he's going to educate them those are his words and if something happens three to four months down the road it ain't gonna be no or we handle it internally that dude is not part of the team i don't care who it is he has to lay the hammer down when it comes to uh, somebody else violating even after all that's been put into place and at the end of the day t all that matters is his boss is uh come um is, is comfortable with him and how he's handled it and president moorhead so hey i mean Kirby's going to do what he's going to do, and he's going to keep doing doing it that way. Yeah, but and I don't think that's going to be an issue mm -hmm. of telling us it was handled internally. We're going to see it because yeah. someone's going to be suspended for a half game, suspended for a full game, or kicked off the team. So I right. do think at that point we'll know, but I think right now it's just – I think it goes down a rabbit hole the minute you start explaining to us or breaking down to the media fan base and the like exactly – what that program is. So I'm, I'm, I'm all about like, just keep it tight. And like you said, we'll sit back and we'll be patient. We'll trust the process as they say. And then let's see what happens if this situation rears its ugly head yet again in the coming months. Yeah. Speaking of ugly head, the Oakland athletics beat the Braves last night. T they on the Braves on a two game losing streak to the Oakland athletics. Oh, the Braves lose two one last night, but I think there was a there was a silver lining. How about this, T? The, the hyphenated guy who you referred to uh, earlier in the uh, early episode, AJ Smith Shaver is not has gotten the call up, and this is a guy who is a fireballer, T. Kind of eerily similar to Spencer Strider, but he's going to start off in the bullpen just like Spencer did. But I, I, when you look at this and you look at the two game losing streak, and you look at the the Braves bringing up some bullpen help. Is this the right time for him, or what can be done to right now in order to for the Braves to kind of get out of this little funk that they're in? Yeah, I, I like the move and I like the timing. I think that the Braves are very, they're very thoughtful and they're very calculated right. in their moves because again, Always. they did not cave under any pressure in when they brought up Michael Soroka. And I, we I believe we all agree that it worked out in the right timing. We liked what we saw out of him in his first start back in almost three years in the majors. And so, yeah, I do believe that the Braves have shown, and even to your very good point about Spencer Strider, they brought him up around this time as well last year, and it worked out. Mm -hmm. It paid dividends. So, yeah, I think this will be a, this is a good move. This is great timing because it also says that, hey, if we feel like he's almost there but not quite there, we still have maybe one or two rotations 
uh, one or two more iterations of going through the rotation, be that Dylan Dodd or Jared Schuster, before we are, quote unquote, being forced to kind of put him into action on an emergent level, right? So yeah, I kind of like the move because I think that it gives that space that's needed before we hear the words, and today's starter is A.J. Smith-Shaver. So yeah, I, I like the timing and I uh, like them bringing up the righty. So yeah, good luck. And I like the corresponding move. Thank you for your non-service, Lucas Lukey. Yes. Anytime yeah. somebody has an ERA over 10, over, and, that's uh, what I was going to say. Soft when, tossing when out it, there, we good. Yeah, when ERA gets to double digits, I just don't even want to know your name. I don't, don't want to know your name. <laughs> right. That's exactly where my mind was like, no, no, no. It, you know, it's, it's enough having to deal with these bats that we don't understand right. why they've gone cold on a team that literally, how did the Braves, number one, stop the A's 11 game losing streak? And then yeah. number two, put them on a two-game win streak. Houseway, yeah. what, what's going yeah. on? And don't get me wrong. I know that sometimes uncharacteristic things happen. So in addition to the Braves bat, bats going silent, Austin Riley had an uncharacteristic error right. that allowed that walk-off run. I get that. But it it does really just have a little bit more of a tinge or a tingle to it when it's the worst team in baseball. And just last week we were talking about you, at least from a record perspective, being the best team in the National League, i.e., and therefore one of the best teams in baseball. Braves. Absolutely. Yeah, come yeah. on. Come on, Braves. Stop playing around. Y'all killing me. Anyway, in, in another news, how about this? Y'all don't know. Like, Tanitra is kind of a big deal, right? So last night, she got a chance to do her first television broadcast for the Atlanta Dream. So, T, tell me how it went down. Break it down for me. I know the Atlanta Dream got the dub against the Chicago Sky, but – how did that thing come about? Man, it was so exciting because anyone who knows me knows that that is one of my, and no pun intended, dream jobs. It really, really is because I absolutely love the WNBA and I love what the dream are doing. They've been building up to this for the last couple of years, right? Making some right. key acquisitions in the offseason, Alicia Gray being probably the, the, the most key. And of course, making some serious moves in the draft as well. And we actually got to see all of those things kind of come together last night. Number one draft pick from last year, Ryan Howard, had a game high 24 points yeah. to go with four rebounds. But the thing is, she heated up in the third quarter. So literally it was like by committee. And I say that with all compliments, that first half. And then of course, Haley Jones, who was one of the top draft picks for the, the dream this season, finally got her chance to get on and listen, Jarvis, you know, as a former athlete, when you're, you gotta be ready when your number's called 13 yes. points, three rebounds that that's, that's gangster. So I, I just really love that all around effort. And it's funny because it, they did it on defense, 83 to 65 is a monster score for the dream, but the devil is in the details of the defense because as coach Tanisha Wright told us pregame and also postgame that there, it was the rebounding against the number one rebounding team in the WNBA that they were able to do one of the top scoring teams, if not the top scoring team. And that's what the dream were able to do to get their first home uh, home win actually this season. So yeah, super excited to be on that particular broadcast. It's nothing like being able to broadcast your first game and it's a win so keep going. They've got a big one, Jarvis. They got a serious one in the Aces coming to town on Friday. But I think that uh, Coach Tanisha Wright and company will have those those ladies ready. WNBA champion, Las Vegas Aces. Got to get that That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so many members of the, the front office, staff, the coaching staff, players, et cetera, have ties 
to that ACES organization. So mm -hmm. it's always interesting when Tanisha Wright, Dan Padover, all of those are able to go back and uh, put in a little work against their former teams. Speaking of putting in work, the Falcons have been putting in work in the, in the offseason and in the draft, bringing in B. John Robinson. But do they have the best backfield in the NFL? We'll talk about that next. But first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. It is the number one sports book in America. Guess what, guys? You guys listen to us each and every day. And you make us your podcast people every day. We appreciate you. All you got to do right now is go to FanDuel and make that your number one sport book in your heart. And guess what, guys? For all the people, all new customers, all you got to do is try out the no sweat first bet. It used to be up to $1,000. Guess what it is now? $2,500. You know, if, if your first bet doesn't win, as bonus bets back, if your first bet doesn't win, $2,500, that's a lot of money. Oh, my goodness. So if you guys are new to FanDuel, so I want you to go out to check out the net no sweat first bet as FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com is the number one sports betting partner in the NBA. So sometimes what we think here locally or media assessments locally aren't quite the same as what is stated on a national level, right? Because, hey, you think to yourself, too, mm, are we a little bit too close to it? Sometimes, however, being close to it is not a bad thing, especially when somehow, some way, your assessments locally bump into what national assessments are. What are we talking about? We are talking about ranking every NFL's team's 2020, 2020. Okay, we're starting that over because you yeah, can't even fix that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. There, there's no editing that'll fix 2022. <laughs> okay, so, okay, we'll start over. Three, two. Now, locally, we actually believe, have always believed, even though we may not have agreed on Bijan Robinson as the number eight pick, not so much about Bijan, it was the number eight pick. What we did agree on, however, was that he made the Falcons' backfield exponentially better, right? Yes. Well, it appears that there are some national writers who feel the same. In fact, for the win that's part of USA Today, ranked every NFL team's 2023 running back rotations from the Cardinals to the Falcons, worst to first. So Cardinals, worst. Number 32 in the league with the likes of James Conner, Keontae Ingram, and Corey Clement. But then you get to the cream of the crop, Jarvis. And I'll actually take us real quick from number five to number one mm -hmm. because that's some really good company that the Falcons find themselves in. So the Seahawks are ranked five with Kenneth Walker the third, Zach Charbonnet, DJ Dallas, and then number four goes to the Detroit Lions, which I love because local product from Georgia Tech and Alabama, Jameer Gibbs, Craig Reynolds, David Montgomery. Number three, your Colts with Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, and number two, the 49ers. And the reason I say that is because when the 49ers picked up Christian McCaffrey last year, Eli Mitchell, Tarion Davis, Price, everyone thought, wow, that McCaffrey pick that would vault the 49ers into otherworldly status, which he definitely was a good addition. But I say that to say for him to have taken the field and done what he, he did last year mm -hmm. and for the Falcons to still be ranked number one, according to this article 
with the likes of, of course, Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier, and Cordero Patterson. You absolutely have to love it because what they're basically saying, Jarvis, is this. The Falcons made their game plan terribly clear in 2022. We are going to run it down your throats and we dare you to stop us. But here's the thing. They said, wait a minute. As good as we were in running it down your throats in 2022, we're going to get better in 2023 of running it down your throats because we got a guy who can do that and then some in Bijan Robinson. So, Jarvis, do you agree with the ranking at number one? Absolutely. Um, because when you think about like what those running backs um, bring to the table, and I'm going to use a buzzword, the versatility, right? Because let me start with Cordero Patterson. Now, Cordero Patterson is originally a wide receiver, so – there's a, a a formation factor that comes into play when he's like, okay, so when Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier in the game, is he going to line up at running back or is he going to line up at wide receiver? Are you going to line up outside? You know, you know, Cordero Patterson has that versatility, right? Now you bring in uh, B. John Robinson. B. John Robinson has been, I've, you know, I want to let y'all know, I'm in on a little secret. You know, Arthur Smith had him lining up outside too. So, those are the type of things that I feel like is going to make you be versatile in what you bring to the table on Sundays and what defenses have to prepare for. And, and then you got the batting ram in Tyler Algier and what he's bringing to the table. And he talked about how he wants to, you know, learn from Bijan in that manner, right? Not only just be the guy that, you know, he's going to be that one cut and go type of running back and come in on the goal line and get you what you need to get, um, get into the end zone. But he wants to be, versatile as well catching the ball out of the backfield so when you have these guys that can kind of you kind of move these chess pieces that you can move around and be effective you know that two of them have already been effective and everybody agrees that Bichon is going to be effective in the NFL that talent is going to transfer I just think that there's no one there's no other backfield in the NFL that I feel that you can put above the Atlanta Falcons I, I would agree and I think the versatility that you mentioned is important because yeah ultimately they're selecting these guys because of their ability to run. We understand that. And the fact that if we were excited about Tyler Algier being a thousand yard rusher last year, you might get 1500 or so out of Bijan Robinson this right. year. So it takes nothing away from that. But I also think you make a great point about that versatility. And like you mentioned, he was lined up outside also lined up in the slot when we, took a look at him uh, at OTAs a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, that versatility piece, I think is going to be critical to what makes them successful. But also I think when you look at the fact that, Hey, Tyler Algier had 711 yards in the final nine games of his rookie season. There were games, if I remember correctly, a couple of the early games where everyone was like, okay, is he dressing out? He didn't even dress out the first game. Exactly. (laughs) Like, yeah. So people forget about that, you know, because folks love to say, oh, well, you know, it was a 17 game season. Not for him, it wasn't because he didn't dress out all 17 games. So if you got to give credit where credit is due for his ability and also for his ability to average nearly, I mean, this guy was closing in on six yards per carry. That's pretty darn impressive. I also think one of the positives in having these two is that it gives Cordero Patterson the ability to come in and be exactly what you said he could be like Tyler Algier, also a bruising back. You know, my thought about him is he's another guy who gives you an option in that low red zone to be able to punch it in as well. And right. ultimately speaking, I think when you have that three headed monster, 
you can just go out there and do what the Falcons did last season, but do it better, which is just absolutely positively sit on the clock. And speaking of that, that could be one of the most beneficial aspects of why this running back core is going to mean so much to the Falcons, Jarvis, because you look at what they're able to do in controlling the clock and how that can ultimately help their defense. Yeah, like just from a arrest standpoint and just yes. being, being rested. And, and one of the things that, you know, the, the Falcons have to be better than, you know, better in, that's, that's in the red zone, right? You know, uh, that running game and that versatility and being able to throw different formations and having those guys all in the game at the same time, you know, a lot of times defenses aren't going to know exactly what you're going to do. And that's when you talk about in that in that immediate, those tight windows, when defenses have to make decisions really quickly, that can be to your advantage each and every time. But on the other side, like you're talking about, you know, not going three and out, sustaining drives. I think those are going to be some of the things that that is going to help the defense and, and from a rest standpoint. And a lot of times when you're scoring points, you're scoring more points in the red zone, that's going to put the defense in a situation where the offense is going to have, be playing catch up. And what happens when they play a catch up? They have to throw the ball. So, and those are some of the things that, you know, help are going to help this team holistically. I feel because, like you said, they were a really good running team last year. And you add to that room, they're looking at being looked at as the number one running back room in the league. And they're probably the most versatile running back room in the league as well. So I, I think all those things kind of factor in helping out the defense. And then when you have some guys who are a little bit longer in the tooth teeth, you know, that's going to help you in the long run as being a sustainable defense. Because at the end of the day, you don't need a dominating defense this year in particular. You just need an effective one and some ones that, that can get you some turnovers and get you some short fields to work with. Yeah, and if you have the ability to put that kind of pressure on the other offense where they are forced to throw, especially in late-game situations, your youngest core is your secondary. Right. So in order, like you said, if you can keep a Calais Campbell from having to play an inordinate amount of snaps, that's in your favor. And right. if you're getting in the position to where you're like, you know what, we'll let we'll put it in the hands of an AJ Terrell or a Jesse Bates, a Richie Grant to be able to do this. That's your fresh legs. Those are your young legs. Yeah. So let those guys cook because you've done what you were what you came to do. First of all, you kept the ball out of the other team's hands because you kept it on the ground. That's number one. And number two, you were able to be more effective in the red zone when you kept it on the ground. And that's something that we've been watching. And we've seen an uptick. One thing about Arthur Smith's offense is we've seen an uptick in the red zone from the Dan Quinn days. And I don't doubt that we're going to see the same here. The other piece there is this. in the When those situations come up where you know, maybe the Falcons aren't able to convert on third down. But if you are at least eating up yards, if you will, what does that do? That helps your special teams. That helps to be able to pin that offense deep in their own territory. Again, advantage to the defense. So, yeah, I like what the article was talking about. And to your point as well, when you look at those top five offenses or those top five uh, running back cores, yeah. All of them have at least one, if not all three, like a Jameer Gibbs, like a David Montgomery, like a Christian McCaffrey. All of those guys are the versatile backs who are also pass catchers. So, yeah, the formula is definitely noticeable in the top five. But I do believe that the Falcons will be the ones who actually set the stage in helping you to understand not just what the formula looks like, but executing on that formula as well. But let us know you guys thoughts. I mean, we know right now it's only paper. 
everybody's just on paper for the most part for the Falcons. Other teams have some more veterans in their backfield. But everydayers, do you like the fact and do you think that this indeed is or could be the best backfield in the NFL? Let us know your thoughts. Check us out on YouTube. Don't forget to drop us a comment. We are always interested to see what you think about not just our thoughts, but also the show overall as well. Now, don't just stop at YouTube because, hey, if you're driving down the streets of Atlanta, we do not want you watching us. That's what we want no. you listening. So no, make no. sure you download us wherever you download the rest of your podcast. Or when you're in this crazy traffic, you can hear the amazing tones of one Jarvis Davis and one Tanitra Batiste right here on ATL Day Ones. But T, this is for the culture. It is the intersection between sports, entertainment, the culture, and sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about. Because that's just how we get down on this show. Today is no different. T, when you think about movies and how many that you've seen, seen <laughs> <laughs> or have it, T, uh, um, I, I think that it is very good to acknowledge that there, there, are, there are some movies that are going to go into the 35-year anniversary since they dropped how about this for a lineup of movies that came out school days coming to america and i'm gonna get you sucker and you know the first question i'm gonna ask you t have you seen one or all of those movies all three i've seen oh, all three oh my god Black card is in yes, check. Exactly. Yes, back, black card's protected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I think that that is cool. But, you know, I'm so glad that you've seen all of those movies because, like, the good teammate that you are, you have saved me. Because, T, got a confession to make. It pains me to say, I have not seen School Days. What? No, what? I haven't seen. Wait, it. what? Nope. Maybe clips, but I've never seen the whole the whole movie. Nope. Send help, people! Send help! <laughs> He's from Atlanta. The movie was basically about the AU Center. It was filmed there, and I just I don't know. I just knew you were gonna say you've not seen. I'm gonna get you sucker. Oh, I no. would have totally oh, given you a pass on that. Yes, yes. But I'm it is shameful. Black exploitation. Yes, I love it. It is shameful. <laughs> it is really shameful. I think at a minimum your card should be suspended. At a minimum. I'll take that for a couple yeah. of days, you know, yeah. then I get it back, you know, you yeah. know, I guess. Yeah. After you watch the movie. Yeah, I need to watch the movie. Yes. Yeah. I am going to watch that is, yes. it. Is, I, it's I need to such do an amazing movie because it really kind of started that whole positive trickle down effect. Although I know in some ways, like filming wise, um, I think Different World might have come before school days technically. I, I forget what um Jasmine Guy and Kadeem Hardison said, but I know that um they had interaction so maybe it's the movie before the film but a uh, movie before the tv series but whatever the mm -hmm. case there was definitely a relationship there in terms of knowing each other which may have allowed for all of that great on screen chemistry but right. i say that to say yeah. like that movie and that tv show that's what sparked the original interest in hbcu life and hbcu yes. culture and giving individuals a sneak peek into the importance and the relevance of what's happening on our campuses. So it's always so great. I think that obviously there's been a resurgence in interest because of the TV show and it's celebrating one of its anniversaries. Now here comes the movie. So no, I think it's awesome. 
And yeah, you absolutely have to, to see it. Like, it, I mean, it's all it's going to do is just take you back to your Albany State days because I'm sure yeah, everything yeah. you see in that movie you will have seen on campus, upfront and personal. No doubt about it. And and I, and you would you think about you know the Cosby Show just introducing. I mean, introducing, excuse me, what was that word? Um, introducing uh, HBCUs because, yes. you know, Bill Cosby always used to rock the sweaters. And I was like, yes. what is Morehouse? You know, even though I lived in Atlanta and I was a young kid, you know, I was a first generation college goer. So, like, those things that I saw as a kid, as I got older and started to understand, you know, that, hey, I'm going to go to college one day, I'm like, it was like, it just, I just revert back to, oh, this is stuff, fellow. Uh, either Martin, even Martin was used to rock the HBCUs yeah. as well. So all of those, the introduction and then basically giving you a snapshot of what HBCU life looks like or that Greek life looks like on HBCU campuses, it was just, it's absolutely amazing. And yes, that is my homework. Um, I'm going to go check out School Days. I might actually, matter of fact, I got a little time on my hands once we get done here, and I might go check it out right now. But guys, I want to say thank you. For making ATL Day 1's your first listen of the day, remember, we're free and available wherever you download your podcast. And also, if you are an everydayer, drop it in the comment box right there, right there. It's right there. All you got to do is say, hey, I'm an everydayer Jarvis. Jarvis, I'm an everydayer Tanitra. Please go ahead and do that. And we appreciate you guys for rocking with us each and every day. Hey, before we get out of here, I always got to tell you this, guys. If you don't do anything else, make sure, make sure, make sure that you share love, show love, and most importantly, spread love.